0: Welcome to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast and quite a special edition this week because it is the last one of the year and I'd like to take this chance to thank all of you for your continued listening over the last couple of years and of course I'd like to thank Harbro, our sponsors who uh, have stuck by us all this time and uh, we really do value their continued support. This week we're still continuing with our series about characters in livestock and they don't come much more of a character than my guest this week. Uh, I'm very very fortunate to be at Boltec uh, talking to Major Walter just a few miles from Perth on a lovely snowy morning and thanks very much for inviting me into your, your
1: home. Forget about the Major, that's a long time ago, I left the army in 1964.
0: And your name that's been synonymous with Cheryl for half a decade and we were starting to talk about the the, the just now off the record but It'd be nice to hear where you started, really, and your family uh, came to Boulthyrk quite a long time ago, I think, and you've been here a long time, so how do what sort of begin? Well, I,
1: I think we're, we're, um, we're new boys, really, at Boulthyrk. Okay. <clears throat> because um, the Blair family came, the, as the Blair's, in 1100 and something, wow. and stayed for 600 years. So, um, I'm a new boy on the block, really. We've only been here since um, 1894. Right. And my grandfather bought bought the for the princely sum of 37,000 pounds at the time. Um, Uh, And there's a castle here as well. Did the castle belong to the farm as well? Yes. Mm, Okay. Uh, It's it's an old keep, Mm -hmm. which um, was part of the house original house, or one of the original houses. Okay. Um, it's um, much altered in Victorian times. Um, the Lowston family bought the place um, before my grandfather and owned it for about 25 years, and spent a lot of money um, doing up the keep. Um, it became Victorianized, which is a bit of a pity, but at least it was rescued and saved. Okay. And um they built the sort of large Victorian house there, which I subsequently, I'm afraid, pulled down and replaced with something else. Mm-hmm.
0: Fair enough. They say that these things, they all have a shelf life, don't they? And they need to be lived in, and the upkeep is uh, it's well, colossal, when, right,
1: it isn't it? When, when we burnt um, our house down, um, it was, which had a thatch roof mm-hmm. and therefore highly flammable, um,
0: I noticed a thatched roof cottage down the road there. Is that something for not something you generally see in central Scotland? Thatched roof?
1: No, but of course, the reed in on the Tay mm-hmm. were very extensive, and in those days, there was um, um, a lot of houses um, okay. were thatched. Mm-hmm, right. So it was an industry which um, existed. I must admit, I've had to get thatch from Norfolk now to go have that roof right. redone. Mm-hmm. But um,
0: and your land the land what size of farm are we looking at you run down to the tail the flat land of the tail no we don't don't, you
1: just go down to the bottom of washing house okay that big field on the left as you before you turned up the hill Mm -hmm. um that's that's the extent of our farm so it's a fairly upland farm it's very much uh lfa Mm -hmm. um it's a livestock farm Mm -hmm. i mean like all farming you 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 don't necessarily do what you want to do you do what your farm allows you to take And this is a stock farm, and um, it's going to be quite interesting, I think, what the Scottish government to do about what I call a proper stock farm.
0: Well, maybe come on to that in a second, because I think that's probably a controversial subject that we can, we can, so we
1: can kick around I and I'm sure you've quite <laughs> strong
0: views on it, but if we just, just sort of go back to where so your, your grandfather came here and then they would farm the land, I suppose they'd have uh, managers in, in farming the, the land then yes, or the uh, farm that uh, size uh, then?
1: Very much so. I mean, uh, my grandfather was obviously a keen stockman because he started off with Aberdeen Angus cattle, okay. although after the First World War, um, he... Um, <laughs> sold them off and started breeding Shorthorns. But the interesting thing, I think, is the the the, the history of not just fact, but the people, because the first um, grieve here was John Brown, and John Brown came here in I think I'm right in saying about um, 1900. He um, joined up with the Campbell family, old John Campbell, who was a topman. That John Brown's daughter married John Campbell's son, Hector, mm-hmm. and Hector and his brother Hugh uh, were the sort of backbone of the farm. When I really was conscious, of what was going on, um, he um, and they have produced um, John and Hector Campbell, and John and Hector. Um, uh, John Campbell has produced. Um, he, uh, Alan Campbell. So Alan Campbell now the fifth generation of the Campbell Brown clan. That's brilliant. And that's. lived the
0: best part of 100 years then? Oh, mm-hmm. More. More. Mm-hmm. More.
1: 120. Mm-hmm. 122 years
0: now. Mm-hmm. No, and, and, and Hector that I know, that we know, and our podcast will know of Hector have been here, man and
1: boy. And uh, they've all been born here, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. So I always feel with Paul Thack, it's something. I don't feel I own all work I feel I share it. Yes, okay. Um, we're a, a long-standing team, we seem to all like each other and get on well.
0: No, brilliant, and Hector, Hector a great man, a very knowledgeable man as well. And just go, go back to yourself, I mean, you you obviously carry the title of Major, I think, Scots Guards would, oh, would, 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 oh, forget would be... About,
1: forget about the Major, that's a long time ago, I left the Army in 1964. But what, what you were in Scots Guards, did that be I was right? Scots Guards mm. from at the age of, of um, 18. mm Mm-hmm. 14 or 16 weeks of the Garst Depot Catron was an experience of life not to miss, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had a wonderful time. Um, I was um, absolutely devoted to, this, to my regiment. It made me the man I am. Um, I owed everything, and um, it still plays a very important part of my life.
0: I, and uh, you would be, i suppose, through the fifties, then. So you'd seen service maybe in, in Suez or, or um. I joined.
1: In, I joined in nineteen fifty two, and went to um, yes, went to my first posting actually it was Canal Zone in nineteen fifty four, which was which rather fun. I rather enjoyed it out there. I mean, it was a um, pretty boring place to be sent to. But, but, um, there was lots of cricket. Tried out playing. Okay, and. Um, and uh, no, it was interesting, really.
0: And um, you'd have been schooled round here. Were you schooled in, in Glamorgan, Perth? I,
1: I started school at, at um, on the side of Loch Rannoch. Okay. At a prep school that had been evacuated from Broadstairs uh, during war. So I learned to swim in Loch Rannoch. Bloody cold,
0: but it is.
1: Um, but it was a wonderful prep school, mm-hmm. and. Um, um, John Boyce, who was headmaster, still remains one of my heroes. Okay. He was a remarkable schoolmaster and a remarkable leader of, of, of small boys. Anyway, I was there for 1946. Then we spent a year down in Broadstairs. And then um, I was lucky enough to go to Eton, which was a hell of a good school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got to 18, my dad said, what are you going to do? And I said I didn't really know, um, he said, well, I think you ought to go and join the army. And he was a, mm-hmm. in the lifeguard, so he was a strong supporter of the Household Division. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I had 12 and a half wonderful years. Yeah, yeah. And finished the, com- the command of of, um, of uh, left flank, First Town, Scots Guards. Um, and then do that go off to, to Borneo. And I thought, I'm not sure really, crawling around the jungles of Borneo, is something I desperately want to do. I think I want to go <laughs> and get a job in the city and try and make some money.
0: That's, so you ended up being well, as a broker in the city, I suppose, did you? Well, I
1: started off as a, a trainee contract clerk, um, but, but three years later, they made me a partner. And then, okay. then things looked up mm-hmm. um, financially. Well, you would be. You'd then be. So we're talking the early sixties. You'd be catching a bit of a boom. a,
0: a, a, a yes, world I mean, boom. I suppose a post-war I, boom.
1: I left. I left Scotland in nineteen sixty-four, uh-huh. um, and stayed in the city till nineteen eighty. Right. Um, which I enjoyed, uh-huh. um, but I'm not really um, hugely driven by by money. Okay. I'm much more interested in making things happen and uh, building, building a business and building a, a place I can be proud of um, rather than just amassing a huge amount of money. So when Big Bang threatened mm-hmm. and I was um, given the choice of, of stay and become a bank clerk with the Midland Bank and, and, and locked in for the next five years in exchange for a, quite a handsome cheque. Or call it a day. Um, don't worry about the check and start again.
0: Start again. And I chose the latter, <laughs> <All right. laughs> we just, before we go on to so you'll start again. I like, gather you play polo as well. I know you've obviously you said cricket. Your love of cricket will come from eating, but uh, you've play, played polo at a fairly fairly strong level, I would probably.
1: Well, I, I love playing all games, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, I played cricket at forty six. We were still champions of the stock exchange top of their league and you know, it wasn't a great team but it was great fun um, i was playing polo by then i was very lucky that during the war as a child the drummond hayes who may or may not ring a bell with you mm. uh, lived next door at say and they had uh, two wonderful daughters who were very very distinguished riders, jane and alan drummond hay both of whom won in badminton okay um, and um, we were sort of surrounded by horses. And girls, which is nice <laughs> and uh, and they, they Margaret Drummond Hay had um, quite a few polo ponies which were just looking for home during war so um and a very good um a, a very good Argentinian chap called Johnny Trail, who couldn't speak a word of English despite a rather English signing name, um, but he taught us how to ride in very much in the Argentinian way. Mm-hmm which is essentially to spend all your life riding with a saddle but no stirrups. Okay. So I learned to ride the Argentinian way. And not to I fall learned, off. I learned how not to fall off. <laughs> um, so Polo was a natural thing mm-hmm. for me, you know, if you like playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played, um, I played a lot of Windsor, which mm-hmm. um, had a close connection with the Richmond. Um, for a great friend of mine called Peter Palumbo, who um invited me to play for him and and um and I played with um, a lot of low goal polo and I played in a medium goal same medium goal team uh with Present King, um which was a great honour. Mm-hmm. a good player he was too. <laughs> um and um we got to the finals at the 16 goal uh Calgary. So we, we were we went a pushover. Mm. And then when I left the city I carried on playing up here. Oh did you? And Where would you play in first <laughs> Well we now we're at Errol Park, but it wasn't school okay. in the middle of the race course at school in Probably with the race course was it was very, very heavy clay and yes. it was either bone hard <laughs> or a bog. Now I've got a wonderful ground. Mm. But um, it was great fun, you know. It was it was um, playing in Scotland is rather different than playing down a, down in the in the in the heart of polo ground polo games really in in in, around london but but, um um it was it was great fun um and um marvin foxpin from five oliver foxpin he's another good well-known horsey man uh and i suppose his uncle he um he was an inspiration to her up, yeah. yeah. Okay. I played till I was sixty five. At that time I'd handed over <laughs> the ponies to Nate, my son, mm-hmm. who was a promising player. And um <clears throat> I was still on two girls, but heading for one goal, so I thought it was time I gave up. Okay.
0: Okay.
1: So then I went and spent the next twenty years um sailing and racing my little boat on the west coast of Scotland. Oh,
0: very nice. Very nice, something a little bit um, lighter and easy, although it isn't done nothing on the West Coast. It's easy, to be fair. Well, but, uh, it was always interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Very exciting place. Mm-hmm. Beautiful place to spend time.
0: And you'd be racing, uh, sail racing with that. What yes, sort of size boat are yes.
1: you I'm slightly competitive by nature. So <laughs> Tell I'm that. Ra- rather, <laughs> like, rather like having a go at somebody else.
0: Uh-huh. What size boat are we talking Just to, to, out of interest, I've got friends who race um, boats, so.
1: Well, they, they're varied. Um, the last one was um, was, um, um swedish made boat, 43 foot okay big. um have great advantage over the other boats i had i could actually stand up and it <laughs> makes a lot of difference you know the great thing about the army was mm-hmm. there's wonderful opportunities to do things mm-hmm. and some people sit there and don't bother taking violent of jobs. i'm afraid i <clears throat> i took advantage of every opportunity right mm-hmm. sort of left side of ski and things mm-hmm. um, because the army suddenly you know if, if you prepare to go racing and things you um you were given three months to go and, this and, and get fit, so mm-hmm. why not? So were well, you a rugby man as well? Yes, mm-hmm. well, I, yes. I mean, it's the extent that my Richmond didn't really play much rugby. Okay. But um, places like Sandhurst, I've assistant mm-hmm. out from Sandhurst for a bit, and mm-hmm. it was Mike Hardy, who was a standoff for England, okay. that famous pair, Shuttleworth and Hardy. Mm-hmm. Before my day. But so playing rugby with him was terrific, cracking mm-hmm. good um, mm-hmm. Sandhurst staff team. We got to the finals of the 7th side. Mm -hmm. Um, The boys then had a bit more steam left. We rather ran out of it, I think. (laughs) um, And then I played quite a lot of high-cell division rugby and a lot of high division cricket.
0: Mm No.
1: So, I mean, not, I've always done, if, if there was a chance to do something, I've always said, well, why
0: not? Yeah. Well, great philosophy. Great philosophy. And a uh, philosophy that a lot of our listeners will follow. And, yeah, but it's just interesting to hear that what drives you. And that's exactly just everything by the sound of that. And, and you said your father had um, Shorthorns or your grandfather had Angus and then went into short which is a well, strange I'm, way because generally the short people went into Angus sort of the other way around, if you like. Whereas he went out of Angus, did you say, during the war, or the First War?
1: um i don't know why no. but when um my first um not, uh, experience of ballpark which was staying with my grandparents um just before the war when war broke out mm-hmm. and the the reason we actually stayed was that um the house, the house in my father's stock broke in, in working in the city and we um lived in buckinghamshire and the house got um requisitioned by the army what? And we were staying with the grandparents, and we became sort of um, refugees, if you like, oh, yeah. up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my mother died when I was rather young, at only eight. Mm-hmm. So I had rather a nomadic existence, really. Um, I remember a great friend of mine described my upbringing as being run by committee. Because <laughs> uh, with no mother, I had two aunts. interfered a bit, I suspect. <laughs> and my old dad, who was 50 when I was born, so he was about 60 when she mm. died, mm. Um, so rather well, strange upbringing. So the but, short uh,
0: short uh, one for him would have been your grandfather's then, is what, you, is what you're saying? He was grandfather's, and I phone. had
1: one cow. Right. I was given a cow by my grandfather, but um, when when he died, uh, the trustees sold the short ones at right. the uh, beginning of the war, mm. and um, my cow was sold amongst the rest and actually exported to um, south america to dutch and
0: your cow went to south my america my went
1: but if ever it's it went we got torpedoed by the Italians oh. on the way there so that was the end of my oh no. my my short herd. a boatload
0: would that be a boatload of short yeah. i mean this is again for for other podcasts and other things that we've talked a lot about the cattle going to south america but i've heard about animals falling over the side but i've never actually heard of a boatload of cattle being torpedoed so, that, torpedo. that, would, so that would be towards the end of the war Her beginning beginning of the war yeah okay
1: uh, I suppose, um, and um, and I got him the Shetland pony to ride instead, which, um, like most Shetland ponies, proved too strong for a 16-stone man to control Let alone a very small boy. It's
0: probably where you learned your art of not falling off a horse, though, because it uh, takes well, some I, I don't know. I, think,
1: I, think, I think I sat on it already. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: marvellous. So then you said it was 1980. Was that 1980 when you came back here, or had you already taken over the, the, the farm before that? Well, I
1: started inheriting bits and pieces. Um, it was it, it was left my grandfather to my mother and her two sisters. Came from my grandmother's grandfather's side, so I inherited in one thousand, nine hundred and sixty-three. I inherited a third of it uh, from one aunt, and um, my my mother's share was given to me, and it sort of built up gradually. So I suppose from sixty-three onwards, I was responsible for it. But I was still a soldier at that stage, um, and I tried to run it um, with um, a local firm of state agents as uh, factors, um, not entirely satisfactory, but they did their best. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid it um, became perfectly obvious that you needed somebody who really cared about the place mm-hmm. to be here to get everything sorted and, and, and the whole thing not in shape, really.
0: And, and we t- we started at the, at the top of this uh, of this chat here that you said you'd seen the you know, the, the scales in in, in, uh, in Perth and sort of the Charolais. But before then, the Charolais you know, they had a rocky road getting into the country. And, and you must have you've taken an interest in that from from the beginning, I guess, to see that the Charolais had a future in in, in the UK farming industry.
1: Well, yes, I mean, um, I started um, realizing that the Milk Marketing Board were then selling semen. I thought this was a chance to taste it and see. So, um, I had a rather strained um, conversation with my dear friend Hector, uh, which went roughly, um, um, I'm thinking, Hector, we ought to look at these imported cattle from France, and his response was very straightforward, very simple. He said, the day a bull walks on to Montferrat, That that day I walk off." <laughs> So that was it, um, but I plucked up courage about six months later and said, Hector, well, I'm sure you're right about Charolais. I'm sure they're a complete waste of time, but let's just prove it um, by putting some semen, um, buying some semen and inseminating some our cross cows and see what happens. Um, and very reluctantly agreed, so we inseminated 20 cows. Um, 18 of which had Abbey and Angus calves, um, but two had Charolais calves. And it was those two that got the second and third top price of the spring calves when I sold them at a year old in Perth. So that proved to both of us that actually the Charolais would work mm. on our cross cars in okay. our environment. And these would be cross cows, short cross cows, and Angus cross cows, I suppose, like, all <laughs> sorts. Mm-hmm. But no, they were probably mostly um, those black, wonderful black cattle you used to get from the west coast of Ireland. Okay, yes, black black um, grays. So I think mm-hmm. most of them would probably be out of some blue grays. Mm-hmm. But um, that Hector Hector, being the wonderful man that he was, recognised that um, maybe the Charlie wasn't a complete waste of time. Mm. So when the first auction market, the first sale of Charlotte bulls was announced, I persuaded him to come down to London in the train which he came with his old friend, Jimmy Tate. He didn't like travelling. He'd never been outside Scotland before, so he didn't want to come by himself. And uh, I picked him up in Euston and we went up to the Royal Show. And um, I said, now, Hector, you just buy the bull you like. Um, because I knew if he wasn't on my side, mm-hmm. it was never going to work. Sure. But bless him, he um, he chose Hennem Lodge Emperor. His her book number was 266, I remember that for my dying day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first Showerly Bull sale of public auction in this country. Okay.
0: And and, uh, and having spoken to Rowley Fraser, uh, I'm certainly uh, was on a podcast of Rowley really sadly no longer with us, but I think Rowley conducted conducted that Showerly sale. In- he
1: certainly did. Mm-hmm. And I was having quite a good year in the city, which is probably why I was able to buy the Charolais Bull. But I bought myself a, a new Aston Martin that year, and that only cost me four thousand six hundred guineas. <laughs> and the Bull cost you five thousand six hundred. <laughs> and mine cost, cost me a thousand pounds more.
0: Excellent. So that uh, that does put it in perspective, really, when you think what you co- what you pay for a new Aston Martin these days compared to yeah. to what you pay for a Bull. A, uh, but it
1: seemed a good idea at the time, mm-hmm. Andy, and it probably well mm-hmm. was.
0: Yeah. And then he would run across all your cows for a year or two before you got into the... the yes, I mean,
1: we started, you know, we we, we, we bought a few, um, we bought so many um, French heifers from France. Mm-hmm. Jim Smith bought them for me um, for the first year, for the second year, and I think two or three in the third. Um, and um, but we also graded up some um, um, cross cows and kept them, kept the Charolais progeny, but... We never, we never got as far as getting them accepted as mm-hmm. pure, which was 63, 64, something. Okay. By that time, we built up the, the pedigree size, mm-hmm. the numbers we wanted.
0: And would there? I mean, I I've been very much involved in the Smithfield show, and I think it was 1970. That's when the first Charolais from Burt Rugg went to Smithfield. But there would be a bit of demand for cross cattle out of the Charolais, I guess, in, in the in the suckler calf markets to. to well, take I think some that's weather.
1: why we got the second and third top price. Mm, um, we probably went on and to. that's, sh- that's one persuaded me that it was going to be a good idea and mm-hmm. far more important it persuaded hector that it was a good idea yes yes uh, because without his you know um uh, total sport mm-hmm. i couldn't have done it because i was still working in the city sure sure
0: and, and the first cows you, you you intimated that you brought the first cows in and i believe that the um the original uh, herds or families of those first cows are still, just about everything is still traceable back to those? Uh, oh, yes. I mean, mm. they're
1: still, they're still on, on on the herd book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they came from, um, the first four came from Vine, Desenay, Paco, and a fellow called Du Cartier.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I can almost remember the names. Elegance, Eger, Eleanor, and I've forgotten the other one.
0: Okay be e, so we're talking Again, six, yes, 67? 67
1: six, well, they were, they, were, they were 69, they came 69. in. Mm-hmm. But I suppose they were probably born
0: in 68. I just sort of go back to Apollon, I think, was the first one of the A's, wasn't it? That's sort of how they ran that. Yes, they, well, they, they were they
1: two. They, 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 I mean, they were those two great bulls from mm-hmm. Lockall. Mm-hmm. remember, Archduke and Achille. Okay. Um, great. Um, Archiduke had this extraordinary white brownie patches on him and, they they remained in his progeny for generation after generation. Really, it transferred through. So they were the, they were. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about the Irish um, um, bought good bulls mm-hmm. to their um, stud, much better ones than the milk. market but the board milk marketing board,
0: board had, board had done. To. Yes, I think there's still a little bit of, of, of concern that maybe the milk marketing board didn't spend as much on buying those initial bulls as yeah, they, they could they, well they have just done. They bought
1: them at sort of mm-hmm. you know, at, at, at sort of
0: trade price, not pedigree price. Killing okay, price, yeah. Yeah, and those, those first heifers, what sort of size would they be if, if we look, I mean, we'll go on to your modern Charolais now, and and, and for our listeners that don't know, I mean, you've probably got one of the, the top and biggest on top of Charolais herds in the country and some huge cattle and great cattle, but back then they would be a, a lot, the French cattle would be smaller generally, would they, or is that just a myth?
1: I don't think, they, I don't think they've changed all that much. Okay. Um, we keep saying, I don't think they're so heavily muscled as maybe the French are now, but mm. I haven't been in France for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um but
0: those early those that early bulls should I say would he be would he be look small compared to what we what you're producing today, or would he sort of you think he'd be a similar so what sort of weight would he be
1: well looking looking at the weights looking at the, the, mm. the weights in the herd book the cattle then were much lighter than they are okay. um they also have much better carving figures than the modern Charolais. Okay. Which is rather that, that
0: sounds interesting because you would have thought the other way around with the French, wouldn't you
1: I'm not sure whether the the figures that <coughs> were collected back in the 70s, early 70s, I'm not sure how they how accurate they are and mm. whether they can really be generally compared with what we're doing now because there was no there was no recording of cattle in those days yes. so although <coughs> they've been given sort of um, EBB type figures, I suspect. I suspect the story is, is, is somewhat different.
0: Now, that's interesting because there is a discussion about figures. We, we regularly have a discussion on our podcast regarding figures and the whole idea of figures, it needs to be a big enough data set that uh, before the figures get any sense of accuracy. And I suppose that would be well, what was said. I, I, I'm before. a huge
1: fan of mm-hmm. Breed Plan. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's, um, it's an extremely good and accurate system, which is there to help us. Mm. Unfortunately, there was a, a slight antagonism towards it um, but it, some people felt that it was just interp- interfering with their personal skills of stockmen at choosing the best cattle by, by eye. I have a slightly scientific background at school, so I was always interested in the in the science of, them, mm-hmm. of it and and have always believed in the genetics. And uh, so we followed it, and um, because we recognized it as something there to help us, Mm -hmm. we've um, (coughs) followed it. um, We've used um, absolutely accurate figures. We've always put accurate figures into the system. If we put anything other than accurate figures in the system, the system couldn't possibly help us.
0: I think that's that, That's the way people understand that nowadays, but there was it a little bit of ego about it going back the way people putting in figures just to try and help them help themselves, which really, in the long run, didn't help anybody. Didn't
1: help anybody, no. and least of all, help mis- misled themselves. Yes, yes. But I mean, the most important thing, really, is, is putting the day in, the carpet's born.
0: Mm hmm. Yes, <laughs> it it sounds, it sounds simple, but uh, there's been many a time when that's but that, not been good. Right.
1: If you look at my records, you'll mm-hmm. see that there's, um, it, there's seldom more than two mm-hmm. days, at the maximum, mm-hmm. between birth and registration. Yeah, 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 put it in when you remember. Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the obvious uh, valuable figures within the Shireley Breeder of course, is carving figures.
1: Well, it, it's interesting. If, if, if I've got the breed plan thing here. um the last one, unfortunately we haven't got this month's one because of the uh, strike, but um, it shows the sort of extraordinary progress the Charolais society has made in carving ease. If, If carving is a problem for Charolais, then there would be no future. And for a long time, I'm afraid, the breed was seduced by big backsides without recognizing the consequences, which was, of course, appalling carving. We never went down that route because we've always been thoroughly commercial. We've always had our own suckler cows, and we were only interested in breeding and selling the sort of bulls that we wanted to keep for ourselves, okay. and we knew would work on our cattle. But that that um, graph there is quite indicative, that um, carving ease in 2003 for the chalets was 7.5, when 2022, the last figures I've got, it was 0.5. Okay. Uh, a huge improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that demonstrates the fact that um, suddenly the Charolais Society and the Charolais breeders realized they were running up uh, a blind alley and doing themselves nothing but mischief in trying to breed these cattle with huge backsides. And fortunately, that is now history. Okay.
0: Okay. And, and going on to your yourself with the Charolais Society, you got fairly fairly quickly, I think, you got involved in the Charolais as a, as a council member, board director. I'm not quite sure how it works, and worked your way up to, to chairman.
1: Well, um, we have a duty, don't we, to you know, serve the members and mm-hmm. serve the breed, and um, I was more than happy um, to to do my stint um, on the Livestock Committee, which was the one that really interested me. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, they were kind enough to ask me to be chairman for my brief stay there, and then uh, president later.
0: 1984, I have that name, is that right? Could Could be. Yes, it could be. Time (laughs) has flown. (laughs) (laughs) But no, a great honor to do that. And and, uh, you would be, by that time, by 84, you would be along with some of the dare I say some of the great breeders in the breed you're one yourself of course but there'd be a, a lot of the, the, the Charolais would be flying then by, by, by 84 wouldn't they? they would be the year
1: and you would have spent a,
0: a lot of time in France and probably had some good times as well
1: oh. when I was probably seriously of the idea from the Falcon <laughs> <laughs> one was uh, being taken out by Cornean Barrow to have lunch with um, Paul Crew for oh, wow. Um, flown out and flown back and, on the way back, we all decided we ought to give um <clears throat> corn barriers a decent order, so I ended up with 20 dozen crew, 20 dozen at an average of 28 shillings a bottle, 28 shillings, I've still crew. got a few. <laughs> There's never even better deal with um latour where I ended up with three hogsheads of which I had to sell half to pay for the rest quite quickly, but it ended up that I had a hog's head of the stuff, and I've been, until I stopped, really sort of drinking decent wine, um flogging that, the odd case for, you <laughs> oh, know, six, seven, eight thousand quid a yeah, case, yeah. it would cost me just over a pound a bottle. Wow.
0: Right. <laughs> um, oh, that definitely has been a
1: game for yeah. 40 years.
0: Yeah, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. i still
1: got a dozen, at least a dozen, 66.
0: So you have uh, um, major. You have your son Nick involved in the farm, and James, who isn't so much um, hands-on.
1: Well, we we um, have to accept that that the wealth couldn't be split between two boys, and therefore it's better to make a decision and put one in charge and be the um, <coughs> the beneficiary of the trust as the owner of it, and. Um, Nick, um, being the eldest, has got the job.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and very much hands-on, involved day-to-day or, or sort of from a... No, he's,
1: he's got his own computer business. Mm, okay. He does web page design. Mm. And so he's, um, <laughs> he, he's really looking after the books um, and um, looking after the houses and doing the sort of things that are probably be fair, I prefer he to, him to do rather than do it myself. <laughs> I've, I've I've kept the things I really enjoy, which is breeding the Charolais cattle.
0: Sure, and we we'll move on to the Charolais. and you run over hundred Charolais cows, I think, at the moment, and probably been more at some stage.
1: Um, yes, I mean we we try and keep the Charolais numbers um, about hundred, between hundred and hundred and ten Charolais cows, carving every year. The actual number of Charolais we've got as of the 30th of November was 263 Wow, okay there's a few, there's a few white cows around.
0: <laughs> it will be uh, the hillside will be white, it's much the same as it is today with the with the snow it's and same. the frost. And uh, and you have a fantastic, dedicated team. We've chatted about this, and I know um, uh, Tracy and Davey particularly as well. You've got some, you've got a very good, dedicated team in those two. And of course Hector Hector Campbell, who's been we said here with the furniture.
1: Well, H- Hector Hector um, used to run the sheep, mm-hmm. and his brother John used to run the cattle. That's right. Um, I suspect that Hector probably would always. Rather have been with the cattle because um, he was always a keen um, fat stock man.
0: Of course, so that, um, for those that don't know, of course Hector used to spend his winters helping uh, uh, Davy um, Sinclair uh, down the Redderdam so, and Absolutely,
1: absolutely, mm. and uh, jolly good at it he was too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when he retired at sixty-five, um, um, which was very sad, and we sad to see him go. But he wasn't gone for long. Mm-hmm. He, about a month later, he came back and said, "I'm bored <laughs> um, of being retired, so I'm going to come and help with gattle." And that's exactly what he's done ever since. <laughs> and long may he continue. To Indeed, do
0: so. he likes to go on a cruise and on a holiday, Hector. If you're listening, I know you like a little bit of whiskey, but uh, he still likes to get his hands dirty. I think. Yes, he likes playing golf on Thursday, <laughs> yes. and that, yeah. you
1: know that's fine. Um, he's doing a wonderful job here, mm-hmm. and he's um, he's 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 a great asset to have around
0: but let's go, go on to to tracy and and, and davy i mean tracy obviously from a from the, the gun family up there in in, in caseness and and uh, a, a good family behind them but very able the pair of them
1: terrifically mm. tracy is a is, is is a real power uh on the farm i've um she now is doing she's not really the grieve mm. she does the day-to-day management of the farm She's a, she's uh, t- terrific about in the Charolais cattle and the pedigree side and the commercial side. She's a she's an absolute powerhouse of knowledge and skills. And uh, apart from anything else, she's a lovely lady who is a joy to work with.
0: And Davey, likewise, yeah, gets, and, gets and, very much involved. And and,
1: Davey and she and she got married, and and um, they make a terrific team together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm delighted to. Um, to have them here. Uh, I couldn't really do without them now Mm -hmm. because obviously uh, I'm well past my best.
0: And, and we talked, I'm sure not, but we talked about shows earlier on and the fact that, that uh, you know, Bolsaic has been involved in, in the shows, the Highland show, I think, first in 1972, probably rarely missed a year apart from maybe when you've been involved in judging or, or whatever, and your share of share of prizes there and a share of interbreeds there as well. And the showing is an important part of, of the farming community as well, as the as, as herd.
1: It, it's hugely important, and it is our shop window. And um, we think it's... Um, um, our pleasure and also our duty to support um, the local shows in Perth and also the Highland Show and Angus and the Aylith, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it is, you really, know, it's Tracy and David, almost, they were described as their holiday, although it's extremely hard work. But it's, it's good for them and it, it, it's good for Baltheak to um, compete and be seen to compete. And we've had a we've had our share uh, of successes and, and disappointments. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's all about. Of that's course. Um, why it's all worthwhile.
0: My father always said win or lose, we'll have some booze, and, and, and quite rightly so. And uh, and going on to high prices, there's far too many high prices that you've had within the breed to mention. I think uh, I'd be right in saying 46,000 might be your top for, for Minstrel, would that be? The minstrel hero? was
1: 46,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I sold um, to Gilbert Crawford, Northern Ireland, um, justice he went for fifty thousand. okay <laughs> so those are our two top prices mm-hmm. and um those are the good old days when i think everybody felt um <coughs> pretty confident about um the beef industry um but we are still getting a good prices um little disappointing in in october with the junior champion but but, um, you know, that's the way it goes.
0: And, and you have in 2018, nine bulls averaged 15,000, I think a record in any breed at any sale, I would say. It fantastic fantastically yes, that achievement. Was,
1: that, that, was, that was amazing. That was an amazing day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, they do, the great excitement about Charolais cattle and pedigree cattle generally is sometimes you do have, everything sort of uh, starts working in your favor and you have a wonderful day and um, enjoy it, make the most of it because next time sale you start again
0: well of course of course, but it isn't I mean I suppose I mentioned that because it isn't just the fact one high price for when you're turning out that number of bulls and and I'd be right in thinking you're selling thirty thirty forty bulls a year so you're you're turning out a lot of cattle and a uh, consistent product and, and a consistent price
1: yes and of course a lot of them were selling privately mm-hmm. um and um, I, I I like to sell them through the show ring and uh, in sterling um I think it's good for us to see to be seen to be selling bulls at a certain price level. Um, private sales are are private um, in every mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. and you can't disclose of the price or who was selling to. Of course. And um, but um, we obviously do sell quite a lot of cattle privately
0: too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that and of course you will have with that amount of bulls, you'll have females to sell as well. And I gather, I guess, those, a lot of those will go away privately from from here. Sorry? The females, a lot of the females will go away. Yes, from we, we,
1: we we tend not to um, sell too many females. We are selling three in this um, uh, January sale um, of um, elite females because we want to support the society and we want to support the breed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somewhat reluctant to sell them. I sell a nice heifer too for a for, for good price privately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, our, our Philosophy really is, don't keep cows too long. They're worth a lot of money as cows. And if you keep on refreshing the herd with new blood, you should be, if you're doing the job properly, refreshing them with better cattle, with better genetics. Than the ones they replace.
0: Always onwards and upwards and quite rightly so and, and and we mentioned at the top of this uh, we mentioned at the top of this episode that uh, you've gone 50 years and I believe you celebrated your 50 years by winning the Interbreed at the Highland Show yet again uh, and um, and threw a damn big party
1: afterwards. Well we we had a wonderful party. I've, I've got the catalogue here actually which um, we show which I, I'll let you see the copy. Um, we thought about um, um essentially what we did was we just had an ordinary sort of open day, but we thought we'd give everybody lunch. Um so we killed um heifer that um, hadn't got any milk. Um and um um so she she got barbecued um and we killed a few lambs as well, so we did a a asada, uh Argentinian asada, which we we're quite good at. Um <laughs> and uh, we thought 150 people might turn up but all i know is that we distributed 570 cups of coffee before the day started so (laughs) it was a huge turnout and my small tent on the lawn had to be um, cancelled and reordered two sizes bigger (laughs) by the time we finished so the whole lawn was covered in it and i got a team into um, um, do all the catering and everything else and um, we had lots of wine a couple of barrels of beer and everybody had a rather jolly jolly excellent
0: it sounds like they did what a great way to celebrate and that's fantastic to put a little bit back isn't it and talking of putting in a little bit back you do quite a lot for the youth development side of it as well and the youth obviously of the future of every breed and I think you've been involved in in, in that
1: well um, Tracy must take a huge amount of credit from John before her uh, for, for, <coughs> for what we do in the upfront. but the future for all of us is the next generation, and um, we have a a duty to um, make certain that everybody has every advantage that they can in learning their trade, building their enthusiasm for the wonderful breed that Charolais are, and if we can play a little part in that, we're more than willing to do so.
0: No, well certainly. Uh, I believe I've been uh, told by many that uh, you've certainly been very, very instigative in, in g- getting some of these youngsters and putting something back into these youngsters coming into that. And that's. Uh, that's well,
1: I, I, young, I like young people. <laughs> I enjoy their company. <laughs> I love their enthusiasm, and anything I can do to help, I'm always willing to do so. It's that, joy, not a, not a, not. A <laughs> as well as duty.
0: <laughs> no, that's, that's great words. And, uh, and, and talking about uh, development, you've also done, we're sponsored by, by Harborough Feeds, and you've also done something for Harborough as well, Open Days, and had some of their, some of their team up here, I think, and, and some explanations to them as to what you expect out of a, out of a feed and, and R&D research and development uh, on their behalf.
1: Well, I think Harborough Harbor a, a company. They do a great deal um, of good work in the beef industry. David McKenzie is a hugely accomplished stockman and a man I have great respect for. And um, anything I can do to help him um, in his training schedule with bringing on um, his representatives and if I can in any way cast any light on what, we, what help we hope to get from them and need to get from them, I'm more than willing to help. Well, that's it's a team game, mm-hmm. raising cattle. And, um, we all have to play our part.
0: It's a chain, isn't it? And everybody has to pay a little bit. And, and you're right. And instead of going, moving on for, for development, I believe you've just had, recently had a carbon audit and we had a brief conversation over lunch about to, about carbon and how how the world is, is, is looking towards the farming industry to reduce their carbon input. And I think you came out very well on, on, that, on that score. It's a bit of a controversial subject, should I say, as to, as to how much carbon is being put in or taken out, maybe versus uh, putting livestock on the hills versus putting trees on the hills.
1: We, um, have had a carbon audit done by the, um, by the college, agricultural college. And, um, I am not entirely convinced that the science of the audit is as yet fixed. I think it's, I think it's, um, subject to probably certain amendments. But grass is just as good an absorber of carbon as trees ever have been and particularly deciduous trees, which of course lose their leaves in the winter and don't absorb any carbon at all. But um, as far as we're concerned, our carbon audit, which is purely exploratory and just for our own interest, provided some quite encouraging information, which was that Baltheaak was not only carbon positive, i.e. carbon sink, but it also absorbed the carbon produced by 400 average houses. Okay. so we are we are feeling quite pleased about that mm-hmm.
0: and, and as this as you say this is something you did voluntarily it's something that we might see in the future but let's hope that that science is portrayed back to those that want to take the suck cows off the hill and fill them all with with spruce trees
1: well god i do hope you're right um i hope to um the scottish government um which has a difficult a difficult uh, course to find the right way through this problem but of Scotland, Scottish, Scottish land can't grow arable crops. So we have to ask ourselves what on earth we're going to do do with it. And on that land also live an immense number of very good farming families that look after the countryside and make Scotland the beautiful country it is. And nearly all those people are involved in producing sheep, and cattle. And it is to them, the people and those two species, that I think we owe a great debt of gratitude for the way Scotland looks now. And if anybody thinks that people are going to come and look at fir trees as a tourist attraction, well, dream on. (laughs) Um, It would be an absolute... I'm all for trees, and we have quite a lot of trees on on this farm. We've got 200 acres of them. Um, and <coughs> trees have their part to play. But blanket forestation would be a complete disaster for Scotland. Mm. And I do hope that our minister, who seems an intelligent and sensible woman, um, if somewhat inexperienced in agricultural matters, I do hope that she listens to the committees that she set up, particularly the one that Jim Walker chaired, because if she does what he suggests she does, then future of sheep and cattle in Scotland will be secure
0: be a lot more sound no, well there's wise words I'm not sure that uh, not sure that the first Minister or the agricultural minister are regular listens to this program but if you are there please take uh, take heed of uh, of what the major does said and let's just step back in a little bit away from that to um, controversial uh, uh, precipice for a second, just to back into the cattle to wrap this up. And, and Cheryl, as I said, have been have been your, your life here for 50 years and bulls too many, numerous to mention. But I believe a bull recently that's done you a lot of good is a bull called Yugi Echo from from uh, Jim Wilson. And uh, is a bull that seems to have put a lot of background into your current head?
1: Well, Jimmy Wilson is a star breed and always was, uh, whether it's um, um, in cattle through his Yugi herd, and um, also, of course, in his, in his tups. Mm. Uh, he was a terrific breeder of Suffolk tups. He's a master, a master stockman. He uh, was a great bull. He, he not only bred jolly good bulls, but he bred some cracking good females too. Mr. Reliable, i describe Okay. describe him. Um, I'm very sad that Jim retired because um, we need people like him. Um, he is, is a, I still enjoy his company at bull sales. I'm glad to say he always spends a bit of time at our, at our pen.
0: <laughs> well, Jim, Jim's a man that had been mentioned a couple of times recently on the podcast. And, Jim, I did say before, if you're listening, you'll be getting a phone call from us. And I believe you bought a new bull this year, um, Eric Elric, um, Paragon, would that be right? A uh, young lad, new lad on the block.
1: Yes, um, Eric, Eric Paragon is a merdier is gouverneur, a, a, a French bull, um, bred. Um, I thought that Mike Massey was uh, breeding some decent cattle. Uh, using that bull and um, so we bought um, privately a young son and he's got a lot of merit. I, since then I've bought two more bulls, Uh, I bought a Hurston bull from a Goldies Oscar um, son which I'm quite excited about. I think he's he looks the part, Um, he's um, a good worker but of course we haven't had calves off him yet. And I bought another bull um, that uh, hasn't arrived on the farm yet. So maybe we won't talk about him until I've actually seen him here. Um, But but, um, he's got um, a terrific set of figures and um, I'm quite excited about him. And we're using also a homebred bull out of Nessie that won the Highland show by an amazing bull I bought in the 1970s um, from um, from Northern Ireland, but although he was full French bred, Barbican Lancer, who nearly 50 years later, I'm still using him with what semen I've got left on heifers.
0: Wow, well, that's interesting that you say that because I remember Hector talking about one of the best, Hector Campbell talking about one of the best bulls that he'd seen and I think that would, that bull was mentioned and also Nessie an was, uh, when we were quoted, to, we were looking for the best, animal anybody's seen in the show ring, I think Hector came up and said, Messi was certainly up there with the the very best.
1: Well, there's her picture on the wall. Yeah. Um, And there's a copy of her painting that's hanging in the uh, in the Members Pavilion at the Royal Highland Show as being the the winner of the best animal in the show that year Mm. in 2019. She always looked the part. She knew she was a wonderful looking cow. Um, But what is really exciting is she's um, appears to be breeding mm-hmm. just as well as she looks.
0: Brilliant. Well, let's let's hope so. And uh, David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And one thing that I do want to congratulate you on was, I think it was last year, winning this uh, William Young Award, which has been a, it's, it's a credit to anybody that's won that for outstanding contributions to agriculture and the livestock business. So uh, congratulations on that one.
1: Well, you're very kind. That was a, a complete surprise. Um, but um, I think to be um, acknowledged as being even noticed in such a distinguished company, um, I take as a huge compliment.
0: No, You certainly are. It's a roll of honour with a lot of, uh, of good names in there and fantastic. And I know you've got, I think, a dozen bulls going to sterling, shall I say, this February. And uh, long may it continue that you're still up there in, in the top prices and the top averages.
1: Um, I think decent commercial bulls. As long as we can produce a string of cattle of high quality that perform as well as they look, then I will be more than satisfied.
0: Well, as I said, congratulations on continually turning out that many bulls per year and that many quality bulls, and being in, in the very tops of it. and And thank you for looking after me today as well. It's been a pleasure to be here at uh, Bothy.
1: Good. Um, come back again, and see us.
0: <laughs> thank you.
1: Don't way too long. I might have. I might have. Um, I might be otherwise occupied. Sure. Well, in mm. January twenty second, I'll be in my ninetieth year, which I seem rather frightening. Well, in. okay.
0: Well, once again, thanks for your time. Well, thank you all for listening to Top Lines and Tales podcast, and thanks for your continued support now over the last couple of years. And as we enter a a new year, I'd like to wish you all a a happy new year to all our listeners uh, near and far, all there around the world. And of course, this time of year now, as we turn into the new year, there'll be one or two starting to get into lambing pedigree lambs, pedigree sheep. And don't forget that Harborough, our sponsors, uh, started within the pedigree sheep business, producing high quality pedigree feed there. And uh, and they're still very much involved in that they really do know what they're talking about when it comes to looking after and growing on those uh, precious pedigree lambs and of course all your livestock so thanks again to harborough for your continued support and thank you to all our listeners again and happy new year and don't forget to take a look at our top lines and tales facebook page where you can find uh, maybe some photographs and other information to back up this and other episodes thanks